uh, in and out a lot lately with my wife, and I thought it would uh, be a time of calling your uh, your attention to uh, the the understanding that even uh, elder families and elders struggle with uh, life circumstances just like you do. And uh, we all, in prayer, we covet your prayers as elders and as our families. And uh, we thank you that uh, Lisa and I were able to take a little break, take care of some stuff with our extended family. And uh, we uh, are back and appreciate uh, your your continued prayers. But, you know, I, I speak, I think, for all of us as elders. We are not superheroes. We uh, we struggle with the same things that you do, and the same things in your families that uh, that uh, you probably do too. And uh, that's why we come together and we ask for prayers for not only us but for each other. We're a community here, and all of us could use prayers. We all deal with sickness and lost loved ones and uh, various things going on in families. So. We're nearing the end of the series in the letter of James. We've been working on it for a little while. Took a break in the summer and now we are wrapping it up. Pastor Bob is going to continue or or conclude this series next week. And then we'll be looking at our Advent series for the uh, holidays. Um, This week I'll be looking at James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18 together with you. And if you'll turn there in your Bibles, I will open in prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, you are our great loving Father. That, uh, that you care for us. That you uh, guide us through your Holy Spirit and your word. That you um, strengthen us through your Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you for the fellowship that we have together as brothers and sisters in Christ and that uh, as we come together as a body even now to open your word, we pray that you will speak to each of us uh, exactly where you know we need to be spoken in our specific lives, in our individual lives. We, uh, we look forward, Lord, from, for uh, hearing from you today and ask that you will Use my lips and help me to be bold and speak the truth and, and be accurate in what I, I speak. And we pray that your word will go out and accomplish everything that you desire to accomplish today. In Jesus' name, amen. The English Standard Version of the Bible has identified the section we're dealing with today with a subtitle of the Prayer of Faith, and I think you'll see why uh, shortly. And it reads, starting at James 5.13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. 
And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three and three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. For the sake of context, you remember James is writing this letter to an assembly of Jewish believers who have been dispersed. They have left Jerusalem in Palestine because of the persecution of the Christian church that we can read about in Acts chapter 7 and 8. You may remember in that section after Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin that he was accused of blasphemy and stoned to death. And then in chapter 8, we are told that Saul, who is to be called Paul after his conversion to Christianity, and others under the orders of the high priest began to persecute the church in Jerusalem. And this caused the church to scatter throughout the regions of Samaria and Judah. And many eventually fled to other locations throughout the known world at the time. This time is called the Dysphoria. We recall from chapter 1 that James is writing to encourage these believers that because of their faith in Jesus Christ are facing persecution, suffering, and all types of trials. He instructs them to be patient in their trials and remain faithful to Jesus through it all. James called on them to endure their persecution by looking past the suffering and pain that they were experiencing to the reward that is identified in James 1.12 as the crown of life or glory. This is the eternal life that God has prepared for all of his children. James calls on all of us today as well to endure through persecution and through our sufferings. This message is just as applicable to us as it was to the first century Christians. In chapter 5 of James, James returns to this same theme. Look at verse 7 of chapter 5. Be patient, he says. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. A little further down, you also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then he gives some instruction not to grumble against one another so that you may not be judged because the judge is standing at the door. James uses this phrase in verse 8 to establish your hearts, to mean to prop up your hearts with determination, persistence, and an inner strength. He's calling them to endure, to take a stand for the faith. He's telling them to hang on and not to complain and to suffer affliction. And I think 
in that he's saying to suffer well. It's an exhortation to people who are under persecution to hold patiently, without complaining, endure it all for the name of Jesus Christ. I don't think this is the normal way that we would think in the terms of persecution. When persecuted for our faith, we are to endure it. Remember in chapter 1 where it says to count it all joy. For the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Wow. What just amazing words. This is not how we would normally feel about persecution or think about it. We would usually desire to flee from it, try to avoid it at all costs if we could. Or at the very least, we would be complaining about how, how unfair it is and why am I going through this. But that's not what James calls us to. In fact, the recipients of James's letter knew exactly what he was talking about because they're living and experiencing persecution in their lives regularly. So this theme continues when James wrote this section that we're looking at. He says, is anyone among you suffering? And that's exactly what he's been talking about in the whole book of the whole letter of James. Is anyone suffering? Let him pray. That's exactly what verse 13 through 18 is all about. Prayer. Prayer is mentioned in each of these verses in that section. James tells his readers that if you want to be able to endure in persecution, then pray. Ask God to help you to endure. This passage is not about healing, which is so frequently uh, thought, but it's about prayer. This passage involves everyone in the church in prayer. It deals with individuals in verse 13. It deals with elders in verse 14 and 15. And then it includes the whole assembly in verse 16, and we'll look at those in a minute. The primary subjects of this section are those who are weak believers. That's who's being addressed here. Those who have been persecuted and are now feeling defeated. The person who has lost his or her joy because of the suffering that they have been enduring. They are spiritual casualties, if you will, in the spiritual war that we're all fighting. Do you ever think of that? Do you ever think that you are in a spiritual war day to day? I I am afraid sometimes that we... And I know this is going to sound strange to come out this way, but if you think about what I'm saying, I think you'll understand 
that we are missing something because we are not persecuted like many people are, many Christians are around the world. We are protected in a lot of ways from some of this persecution. But we do go through things. But I couldn't even tell you the time when someone came up to me last and made uh, even a joke about what I believe or that I go to church. It just doesn't happen that often to us. But we are in a spiritual war. We as Christians are at war with the enemy of God, Satan. First Peter 5.8 says that we are to be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That picture is supposed to send chills through your back. This is not a being who's just sneaking around behind you hoping to trick you once in a while. This is a vicious enemy who desires to see you fail in your Christian walk and destroy you if he can. Many of the recipients of James' letter have been beaten down and are weary spiritually because of what they've been going through. Have you been there? Have you experienced things in your life? Maybe you're currently experiencing things where you are just feeling spiritually weary. This passage is intended to encourage and to teach the one who is spiritually weak, weary, and exhausted to seek a spiritual solution. Prayer. Prayer provides comfort, restoration, fellowship, and power to the wounded believer. Are you suffering? Then pray. Turn to God for comfort. This word for prayer means continual pleading, not just the occasional requests, not just when it comes to mind asking God to to help you through that particular circumstance, but it makes it sound like it's work, it's labor, a continuing pleading to God. James goes on to say, is your soul happy? Sing praise. Or that same word is what we use in the Old Testament for psalm. Sing psalm. Praise is basic to spiritual comfort. It's not petitioning or pleading, but is praising and thanking God for what He has done. In verse 14, James moves from addressing the one who is suffering to a person who has lost the ability to endure their suffering. The exhausted, depressed, defeated Christian. The word sick here is used 
that's used here is most often translated in the New Testament to mean spiritual weakness, specifically. Weakened by their suffering. This person that he's talking about may be too tired to even pray. And if he could pray, has no idea how to pray. This person needs help desperately. If you can't pray for yourself, what do you do? You find someone to pray for you. James says they are to go to the elders of the church. The elders are to respond and pray over the person, anointing him or her with oil in the name of the Lord. These shepherds are to pray and help lift the wounded saint up when he or she may not be able to do so on their own. It involves ministry. It involves praying for them and comforting them and trying to help them get restored. They are to help provide strength and support in prayer. And then the verse says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Prayer is more than a conversation that we have with God. It's a privilege. It's one of the most important tasks that we do as Christians in developing a personal relationship with God along with Bible study. Most of us probably don't fully understand prayer very well. Although we will probably never fully understand it anyway because it's a mystery how God has chosen to use our prayers and yet maintain his wise plan, which is sovereign and infallible. I think we often pray to God as if he's our genie in the bottle, feeling like if we ask him, he's obligated to give us our wish. Nothing is further from the truth. Prayer cannot change what God has ordained. But God has promised to work mightily in response to our prayers. He will use our prayers not to change Himself, but to change things in fulfillment of His sovereign will. Prayer does not affect the course of our lives, or I'm sorry, prayer does affect the course of our lives and the lives of others. We pray knowing that God works through our prayers to accomplish His purposes. 
but it is a mystery on how all this plays out. I think we can benefit from the wisdom of R.A. Torrey, who was an American evangelist, pastor, educator, and a writer in the last century, who in one of his books on prayer listed 11 reasons why prayer is important. Number one is that there is a devil. And because prayer is the God-appointed means of resisting him, you want to be able to resist the devil, you have to pray. Number two, prayer is God's way for us to obtain what we need from him. Number three, the apostles whom God gave us as a pattern for us considered prayer to be the most important business of their lives. Prayer occupied a very prominent place and played a very important part in the earthly life of our Lord. Read through the Gospels and see how often the Lord is praying. Prayer is the most important part of the present ministry of our Lord, since He is now interceding for us in heaven. Prayer is the means God has appointed for our receiving mercy from Him and of obtaining grace to help in time of need. That's what we've been talking about here in James. But you have to pray. Prayer is the means of obtaining the fullness of God's joy. Prayer with thanksgiving is the means of obtaining freedom from anxiety. And in, and in anxiety's place, the peace that passes all understanding. Prayer is the method appointed for obtaining the fullness of God's Holy Spirit. Prayer is the means by which we are to keep watchful and alert at Christ's return. And lastly, prayer is used by God to promote our spiritual growth, bring power into our work, lead others to faith in Christ, and bring all other blessings to Christ's church. A Christian needs prayer. The church needs prayer. Sorry that I can't unpack these thoughts more this morning because of the lack of time, but if you're interested, the book is entitled How to Pray by R.A. Torrey. As we look at the remainder of the section here, maybe these 11 points will help us to understand them a little better. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. The prayers on behalf of the elders will deliver them from the suffering because they have been weakened 
by their struggles. That's why they have called to the elders. Because of the level of spiritual defeat they are in. The prayer of faith will restore the weary. And the Lord will raise him up. Not the elders. They're just praying on that person's behalf. But the Lord is the one who restores. God will rebuild and arouse and awaken or excite the person. The saint had lost all his or her joy. But the Lord will restore and excite him or her again. What a promise. Isn't that what we need? When you are beaten down, when you are so weary, what do you need? To be lifted up and regain that joy that you have in Christ. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And when we see verses like this in the Bible, you have to understand that God hasn't changed his mind on how he works or is adding a verse to cause contradiction to things that he's already said. We interpret scriptures by scriptures. So we know that this verse can't mean that the elders praying for him forgives him of his sins. because That contradicts other verses that we have in the Bible. This is not to say that his sins are forgiven by the elders since only God can forgive sins. What does Isaiah 43.25 say? I, I am he who blots out all your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. Or Daniel 9.9 where it says, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. No one else can forgive sin. This, in fact, is the passage that the Roman Catholic Church uses to justify their sacrament of extreme unction or the last rites. They believe that a priest can perform last rites to a person who's dying to prepare their soul as they enter death and that they can forgive sins of that person. This is not what that, these verses are teaching. We remember that we're dealing with those who are suffering persecution because of their faith in this letter. If their weariness or spiritual defeat is a result of sin, and it isn't always the result of sin, but if it is, when they cry out to God and confess their their need and confess their sin, God will forgive them. This implies that the person who called for the elders, had a contrite and repentant heart, and that part of the time with the elders would be involved in confessing their sins to God. 
The need for strength will cause prayers of confession. And the sin will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Prayer has a relationship to the fellowship of believers in the local church. This is a part of spiritual life that I believe we so often miss out on today. Maybe it's because of stubbornness. Maybe it's because of independence. Maybe it's because of shame. Maybe it's just because of our lack of understanding and knowledge of how important it is in our lives. But if the prayers of a righteous man can assist when you are weak in your spiritual life, you should confess your sins to another and pray for one another. Do you have a person in your life that you can think of right now that you could go to, maybe it's a mentor, maybe it's just a very close brother in Christ or sister in Christ, that you could go to and share your deepest concerns and failures to? I know this is hard to do. I, too, am a very private person. And I can probably be stubborn and independent. I'm not even going to look at my wife to see if that's getting a nod back there. Because <laughs> I'm pretty confident it is. Though even I have someone that I can go to and speak to on most, most issues pretty freely. So I know it is possible. This verse deals with the congregation, the assembly. There's a time when, the, when going to the congregation with your sins is appropriate and will be beneficial for you. Now maybe this is before the whole congregation, but I don't think it's necessarily always the whole congregation. It could be a smaller part of the congregation, such as a community group or a Bible study or in a prayer meeting that you're coming to other brothers and sisters to confess sin. But don't wait until you hit bottom before you seek the help and prayers of your spiritual family. We are brought together as brothers and sisters of Christ for fellowship, for exhorting each other, for encouraging each other, for praying for each other, for correcting each other when we go astray. Maintain a relationship with other believers that you're always praying for and that they're praying for you. This is a great part of being in a fellowship. Confess your sins to each other. Of course, this doesn't mean that every detail has to come out. Every detail has to be given. That's not always healthy. But it does mean to not hide your sin. The sin loves the darkness. 
It loves to be kept in the shadows. It's that light that exposes the things and brings things out. This is part of sharing our lives together. This is probably not something that just happens. In your relationship here, you should even now begin, if you haven't already, begin meeting people and getting to know people enough that maybe you can find someone that can fit fit this need in your spiritual walk. So according to this passage, we pray individually in the normal processes of our spiritual walk. If we're struggling with trials and persecution and feeling defeated, we should call on the elders to anoint us with oil and comfort and pray for us. And there's also times when confessing sin to the congregation or someone in the congregation is necessary. It provides the opportunity for others to pray for you and encourage you. The prayer of a righteous person has great power, this passage says, as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years, six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. James provides us with an illustration to drive the point of prayer home to us. And that is of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. The Jewish Christians that James is writing to knows very well who Elijah is. He is held in high esteem by the Jewish people, especially in the first century. But if you look back into 1 Kings chapter 17, where this event in Elijah's life took place, it doesn't say anything about his prayer or a three-year span of time for the drought. For these things, there's an assumption that he prayed. So the only thing we know is what is written here in James's letter about Elijah's prayer. But James tells his readers that Elijah was a man just like those that he's writing to, with a human nature just like them. And you know what? He's just like us. He had his strong points and he had his weak points in his life. But God responded to Elijah's prayers and literally controlled the rain. What a perfect illustration to use while addressing those who are weary and depressed and defeated and weakened in their faith because of their suffering. Even as God sent rain to a parched earth in response to the prayers of a righteous man, it's as if he's saying so too he would respond to the prayers of righteous men and women today and send restoration and blessing and joy to the struggling believer.
your prayers will have great effect. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If you're one of those who James is addressing in his letter, if you're tired and you're weary from dealing with the struggles that you've been going through, maybe you've reached the point where you don't know if you can continue on, then I invite you at the end of the service to come forward and let someone pray with you. And we'll set a time with you to help you to endure. God loves you. God is there to help you. He's calling us to to endure in our circumstances, to endure in our persecutions and our sufferings and our trials. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's what he wants for us. That should be our goal. We'll uh, move into communion. As the ushers come forward and the worship team comes forward, the elements are passed around. Please hold them. We'll partake of them together.